Hi, my name is Brooke Archer, a qualified clinical nutritionist and naturopath who's passionate about showing people how they can live their happiest and healthiest lives. Through my business Evolve Nutrition and Naturopathy, I've helped hundreds of women, men and children listen to their bodies and elevate their health. Join me and my expert guests as we share all there is to know to evolve your health and live your best life. So get comfortable and get ready to learn. This is the Evolved Health Podcast. Today I'd like to introduce you to a lovely lady, Tessa Rickard, who is going to chat with me about a topic that I know many of my listeners will be keen to hear about. I see quite a few of my clients diagnosed with this condition or potentially considering it as that driver for their symptoms. So this is going to be a good one, people, today. Get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's get into it. I actually had the pleasure of studying nutritional medicine with Tessa a few years ago now, maybe just a few, (laughs) and I'm thrilled to see how she is helping so many now in her own practice. Tessa is a clinical nutritionist, metabolic balance coach, a mother to two boys whom she homeschools as well, the most extraordinary cat I think I've ever seen. I just have to mention that one. (laughs) (laughs) And importantly for today's topic, a thyroid thriver herself. And I just want to mention Tessa also has one of the coolest styles I think I've seen. I love her. <laughs> Thanks, Brooke. <laughs> Today we are going to talk about Hashimoto's. So all of you out there, listen up. Um, it could also be known as Hashimoto thyroiditis, and we might actually use the two terms interchangeably. So please bear with us if we do. I'd like to take a big welcome for Tessa. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Brooke. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to talk about this topic. And I've actually had quite a few clients who've gone, you know, I really want to hear some more on this. So mm, on the podcast. <laughs> okay. So I like to start by asking my guests how they got here. And I don't mean in the, you know, conceptual sense, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. more about how you um, maybe came about being and practicing as a, a nutritionist. Yeah. Okay. Well, my life was on quite a different trajectory, actually. I was, um, I was at uni studying art history and about to go into cultural material conservation when I fell pregnant with my, with my oldest. And so that kind of, um, sidelined me a little bit and threw my plans out and throughout the whole pregnancy and becoming a mom I was quite young I was 24 um my son and I we had quite a lot of complications and problems and I sought help um down the usual pathways you know going to the doctor um and and even I had a second son very quickly after as well and and again throughout that pregnancy and birth and when they were young um we just had a lot of issues I particularly me with my health and food was the only thing that really helped me and it gave me a sense of empowerment and I was able to see that Um, the way that I could optimize or change my diet um, was able to actually help with different symptoms that I was experiencing. Um, Spoiler alert, you know, thyroid was on the decline (laughs) way back then, which I didn't really know about then, but anyway, so, so I decided to, um, to, to study nutritional medicine when my youngest was 18 months old, I went back to uni um, 
at the time I was actually running a um, vintage clothing store and and an online um, vintage sunglasses brand. So I was doing a lot, (laughs) very busy um, with two little boys and, you know, all all the, doing all the things, always um, typical Hashimoto's kind of, you know, A-type personality there. And yeah, so I found myself studying full time on top of all of that. Um, And I think that was a good four years. And then I started private practice. I think that was in 2017. Um, Yeah. So I've been practicing for a few years now, only online for the last two years since COVID hit. So things have changed for me a little bit because I wasn't a clinic. Um, Yeah. So that's how I'm here now. Yeah. And you know, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but obviously <laughs> some really big shifts in, you know, where you were and how I guess those moments in your life, like most of us that are actually practising some form of, you know, nutrition, naturopathy, herbalism, mm. Mm. we come to it from our own health journey for oh, a lot of it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. or our um, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, family <laughs> health mm-hmm. journey yeah. is quite yeah. popular too. But I think it gives you an insight that nobody else mm. can actually have when you've gone down that path yourself. Mm. Mm. Okay. Brilliant. So let's kick it off then with um, maybe you explaining what on earth is Hashimoto's. Mm. Yeah, it does sound kind of strange, doesn't it? <laughs> Sounds like another language. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease and basically a person's Uh, immune system misidentifies the thyroid as a threat and it will mount an immune response against your thyroid because it believes that it's harming your body. So it believes that it's, you know, a foreign body or a pathogen. Um, So over the course of many years, sometimes decades, uh, the the thyroid tissue is just slowly being destroyed by this, you know, slow autoimmune attack. Yeah. Okay. And is this sort of in any way similar to, you know, other thyroid conditions, things like um, hypothyroidism or hypothyroidism? Yeah. So the interesting thing about hypothyroidism, which is where the thyroid has is slow, slowed down. So hypo and then hyper is, is sped up, um, is that the estimate is about 90% of hypothyroidism is actually Hashimoto's in disguise or undiagnosed. Um, So it is very linked. Many, many people have this condition without knowing it. Uh, Nine to one women. So, you know, over men. So it's, it does occur in men, but mostly women. Um, Yeah. So definitely linked and basically that slow thyroid um, destruction from the autoimmune attack is what causes the low thyroid hormones or hypothyroidism. Okay. So, so many women, particularly, I think it's extremely common and I'm not unfair in saying that, but Mm. hypothyroidism, so that real sluggish thyroid Mm. is becoming really prevalent, I think, in middle-aged women. No, not to class it, you know, with any sex or age or anything, but it really is the the staggering numbers that are coming out. And I think it's very interesting, you know, that you're saying a lot of them are actually undiagnosed as being autoimmune Mm -hmm. as opposed to just 
slack thyroid function effectively. Yeah, I think a lot of hypothyroidism in the past was due to iodine deficiency. And that's definitely still a problem. But uh, we've a lot of people consume iodized salt and there's, you know, they're more aware of that now. And I think that there's been more of a shift. Um, that's just my my personal perspective to it being more of an autoimmune driven hypothyroidism. But we don't know because it's not tested. So we don't really have the statistics on that. Uh, I, I think that um, Hashimoto's is increasing across the whole population, to be honest, but it's always women. Yeah, it's often women um, postpartum that thyroiditis is really, really common. So after um, giving birth, um, menopause is another really common trigger. So it's these big hormonal life events that tend to uh, trigger Hashimoto's disease. So, yeah, middle-aged women, it makes sense, you know, because there's a lot going on for them. Um, Their hormones will be shifting quite a lot. And, yeah, so, I mean, I see... I'd, I'd say my clients are split in two, probably um, young mums with postpartum thyroiditis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and then um, menopausal women, sort of 50 to 70. And they've had Hashimoto's for many years, but it's become unmanageable because they haven't um, been putting anything in place. They've just been taking medication or not in some cases. Um, and the other symptoms are just catching up with them because the thyroid has been... Um, you know, destroyed over however many years and the symptoms have just become unbearable and they can't live like this anymore. Or menopause has really um, increased the problem and thyroid function. Yeah. Yeah, all the fun. (laughs) Yes. All these life-changing events and just catapult this to a level where it's just much more noticeable and painful. But it's definitely more common now. You know, I think our modern lifestyles are just they're an assault on our bodies. Um, And I think even just with the last couple of years, the amount of stress, um, I think a lot of discretionary foods and alcohol have been consumed over the last couple of years, but also, you know, spike protein exposure, viral infections are a really common trigger for autoimmunity, Hashimoto's disease, particularly because um, viral infections tend to be in close proximity to the thyroid too. So you can have... um, these kind of stealth viral infections happening slowly in the background on your inside your thyroid or in your throat, which can actually make it, the immune system can sort of ramp up that attack because there's also that the viral element going on in that location as well. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, How do you find out if you have Hashimoto's? (laughs) Yeah, it's really hard. This is why so many people, it takes so long to get a diagnosis because, you know, the symptoms, I'll I'll read out a bit of a list of the symptoms. So they're quite broad. Um, (laughs) Fatigue is probably the main one um, and weight gain. And I just want to say that's like every woman. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Every every woman (laughs) is going through this, you know, um, menstrual irregularities. So they often have high estrogen pictures. So, you know, painful, heavy periods, PMS, infertility. They're constipated. Again, super common. Um, They've got joint and muscle pain and and cold intolerance, which I guess is one of those things. Cold intolerance is a bit of a um, red flag that's a little bit more obvious. But, yeah, there's all these symptoms going on. So you turn up to the doctor and tell them that this is what you're experiencing. It's very broad and it's going to be hard um, for them. You know, it could be 
you could just be worn out from your lifestyle. And quite often, I don't, I don't like to um, kind of criticize doctors, but quite often my clients will have been told, oh, you're just worn out. You need a holiday. You just need to move your body more. You just need to eat less food, um, you know, that kind of thing, which is is disappointing. <laughs> and it is, it is kind of a form of um, medical gaslighting because they know something's not right. So you know if something's really not sitting well with you. So obviously start with your GP. Um, unfortunately, Medicare will not allow a GP to test for thyroid antibodies unless your TSH, which is one of the thyroid um, markers, is very, very elevated. So you're already in a disease state. But if you have Hashimoto's, it could be 10 or 20 years before your TSH gets high enough for Medicare to say, all right, well, you can now test for the whole full thyroid function. So honestly, it sucks, but I think we have to pay for it ourselves privately um, or tell our doctors. This is what I did. I went to my doctor and I said, I will pay something is wrong. I said, it's my thyroid or my iron's low or both, but I cannot function like this. And I, and I did. I paid for it. I think it was about $180 um, through Melbourne Pathology. And um, it was still a doctor's referral, but yeah, I had to pay. They they just sent me an invoice at the end and I paid for it. And, you know, it was worth it because I found out that, yes, I did in fact have Hashimoto's disease and I would not have found that out otherwise, unfortunately. So, you know, the doctors, their hands are tied a little bit with Medicare. Yeah. And, it, and it's very difficult because, you know, to help everybody else understand out there, and I've sort of mentioned this before, a regular blood function test will only cover TSH. Yeah. You actually have to either ask or for them to instruct further for there to be T3, T4, and importantly here, your thyroid antibodies mm -hmm. to actually be looked at. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, I've seen cases where, TSH is fine and, you know, a little side subject. I think the range is particularly a little bit mm -hmm. here in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, so that can say fine, but you can still have an underlying picture of either, you know, some thyroid complications or this autoimmune disease going on underneath mm -hmm. that just won't get seen if you aren't taking those proactive steps yeah. and either questioning it with your doctor if they're open to it mm. or as you say paying for it whether that's through your gp or your nutritionist naturopath mm. practitioner mm -hmm. whoever can actually order that for you so yeah. yeah absolutely and i would say um also that if you do find out you have hashimoto's make sure you get uh, insist on a on a thyroid ultrasound yes as well just to, as a bit of a baseline because you know it we're just checking for anything nasty because that kind of thing can happen. Um, and also because, that, well, I'll tell you something that blew my mind when I found out about it. You could have no antibodies in a thyroid panel and they can do an ultrasound and you can actually have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, but they can't find it. So even if you get the answer of there's no thyroid antibodies in your blood test, you still may need to push and say, I need to get this checked. So if you know, if you can tick off all those symptoms, because there's a lot of antibodies we don't know about. <laughs> I think there's thousands and thousands. There's probably, I don't even know. There's many antibodies that we don't know about that we have no way of testing. We don't know what they do. Um, so in order to get a, um, 
a thyroid ultrasound, that means they can actually see the condition of your thyroid. And it's very clear to them, you know, these people know what they're doing. They can look for signs of, um, of thyroiditis. So then you can act accordingly from there as well. I think that's really important actually to bring up too, because I have actually got a client who um, their picture of their thyroid is TSH thing markers were kind of okay. Mm -hmm. Their antibodies were really high. Mm -hmm. The ultrasound and the ultrasound person had actually said it looks perfect. So yeah, it's a mix of trying to make sure that you're doing that full picture Mm. to really look at it, I think, and all aspects of it. I think that's a great point because you can't just trust just a couple of markers. You really want to go in there and get the full picture. And, yeah, for that that one client, they actually still typically the Hashimoto's picture, so treating it as is, the ultrasound was just a bit inconclusive, shall we say. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. But I guess guess, um, what we're trying to say is if you know something's wrong, keep pushing (laughs) because there are a lot of women who are suffering so the estimate is one in 10 and I think that's conservative one in 10 Australian women have a thyroid condition yeah um so yeah and I I do think that that's probably higher than that I'd say especially since COVID yeah definitely in the last few years yeah um okay what does life look like for somebody who does have Hashimoto's Mm, yeah well (laughs) question I know there's probably lots of areas you can discuss there (laughs) I've actually noticed a real personality type with Hashimoto's ask me how I know (laughs) (laughs) um I've noticed patterns with my clients so often very driven intelligent women um often doing the work of at least two or three women so I've got a lot on um They are carers, so they're helping people. They've often got kids or they're caring for other family members, friends, you know, really a lot of empathy. Um, And they are really smart and high achievers. So they've just got a lot on. They seem to have high expectations of themselves. Um, So what tends to happen, I'll tell you a really typical scenario I see is, you know, a day in the life of someone with Hashimoto's. So they might wake up. They're probably fasting because they heard that's good for them. So they'll start with um, a bulletproof coffee or something. (laughs) Um, They don't wake up feeling refreshed. They're really tired. Um, They rush around their day. They've got lots of things on, caring for lots of people, doing all the things. Um, They may have a couple more coffees throughout the day. They're typically pretty aware of food. So they try to eat good food and they do, they know that whole foods feels better. Um, So they, you know, they do try. So they'll have lunch sometimes. A couple more coffees throughout the day to keep them going. And then often they'll collapse at night completely exhausted and with a wine on the couch because now they need to wind down Mm. because they've had such a big day. And then often at night, you know, they're, they're having a lot of trouble falling asleep too. So a lot of women with Hashimoto's have, um, you know, to varying degrees, insulin resistance and carbohydrate intolerance. So they don't, so that can really affect your sleep as well. So they don't rest well. They have to sleep a lot and they wake up feeling tired. Um, yeah, they're really foggy as well. Brain fog is a huge, huge symptom of Hashimoto's. So they're, they're just frustrated because they've got all these things to do. They're, they're capable, but they feel like their body's holding them back. Yeah. Know the feeling. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, aside from the coffee and the wine for me, pretty much, my picture has been very similar since mm-hmm. I was probably 18. I've had my yeah. thyroid checked. Yeah, really? So I know, you know, these conditions quite well. There's a bit of a passion for the poor woman who does feel fatigued all the yeah. time, you know. And I think you're right, our lifestyles, they're very busy. There's a lot on us and everyone will put that down to it feeling normal. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the women out there are, are really supporting themselves in no. that. And in the past, I think um, there's been, you know, I'm talking probably 10 plus years ago when I was sort of going through some food journeys of my mm-hmm. own. There's a lot of education around Hashimoto's have to be on a dairy-free, have to be on a gluten-free diet because it's very anti-inflammatory, helps obviously with the antibodies, all these kind Mm -hmm, of things, mm -hmm. Um, and medication for life. That was pretty much what they were facing. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't that, then it was also the autoimmune protocol, which for many can be quite restrictive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Unless you love sweet potato. (laughs) You love sweet potato, you'd be fine because you'll never eat more sweet potato in your life. But do you find that, you know, there's a lot of that sort of food trialing, elimination to look at what it is that causes half of the symptoms for them and confusion and frustration? Oh, yeah, all the time. And quite often they're making a lot of good choices around the qualities and of food that they're choosing. You know, their fridge is full of good stuff. Um, I, I find, I think, in general, our society snacks too much and that's driving a lot of fatigue and poor blood sugar regulation. So due to that um, carbohydrate intolerance and and the um, more like a higher chance of having a degree of insulin resistance, their blood sugar isn't very well regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if they're eating the right foods, it might not be in the right context for different meals or the right um, ratios. And they may be eating too much. You know, they might be having beautiful sourdough spelt with like tahini and honey on toast, but that's all they're having for lunch or that's all they're having for breakfast. And that's a problem because they're missing out on, you know, the proteins and fats. And, and so, yes, there's constant experimentation. Um, but I, th- I find a lot of them fall back into just trying to eat whole foods, which is great, you know, yes. and that's so important. And I love working with these kinds of women because they already know that whole foods is the way to go, which is awesome. You don't have to get them off cereal or donuts from the beginning. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's bloody confusing. And there's so many different opinions out there. You know, a lot of my clients um, were influenced by the medical medium and went vegan which was honestly the worst thing they could do for their Hashimoto's because, uh, look, do you want me to go into what Hashimoto's does to digestion and nutrient deficiencies? Um, You know, Hashimoto's people have a lot of trouble absorbing nutrients because of the low thyroid hormones circulating in the body. It has a huge cascade effect on digestion. And so there's a lot of nutrient deficiencies associated with Hashimoto's disease. And if you go on a vegan diet, it's actually, it's even harder for you to not only absorb the nutrients from the food, but they're in smaller quantities because we know that a lot of meat is actually very nutrient rich. And that's where most people get, you know, a lot of their zinc and their B vitamins and their iron and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, veganism is definitely something a lot of people try. Um, the, and then on the other side of that, the, um, the carnivorous diet, <laughs> you know, where they're having just meat, um, which it, it often helps for a little while in the beginning. Um, but it doesn't support the gut. Yeah. 
whenever there's autoimmunity, we know that there's intestinal permeability, um, that the good and bad bacteria in the intestines are out of balance and just eating meat, you know, high saturated fat and high protein meals or purely meat meals will drive that balance even further, which will cause more intestinal permeability or leaky gut, um, more inflammation long-term. So that's not really a solution either. Yeah. Happy medium, people. Happy medium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I Mediterranean-ish. Or, or also, what nationality are you? What were your grandparents eating? What were your grandparents eating? Uh, great-grandparents eating? Mm. That's important. We need to go back. And I think in Australia, we have really lost our food traditions, which is a shame. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, we our cuisine is so international and we get to enjoy all these incredible different cuisines. I love that. Don't get me wrong but we don't have our own food traditions. We don't have things that knowledge that has been passed down to us around, you know, appropriate types of foods for our bodies, um, timing of when to eat, even portion sizes. We're just so lost with it all. And timing throughout the day of when certain foods like carbohydrates might Mm. be better consumed, you know. Oh, yeah. But there's culture now where everybody's sitting down to these hugely piled plates late at night. I'm like, Mm. how are you digesting that? (laughs) Yep, yep. I get my clients to stop eating by 8 p.m. Yep. Yeah, that's the cutoff. (laughs) What are some of the obstacles that you see Hashimoto's sufferers really facing? Mm. Well, I guess there's the there's the medical testing, obviously, and you just take a pill. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. And I guess what we need to understand about that is that's what the doctor has. That's their tool. Absolutely. To treat it. So they have to wait until the thyroid hormone is low enough in your body that they can replace that. But it it is a huge obstacle for the Hashimoto's women because there's actually lots of different types of medication. And look, this isn't actually my scope of practice, the medication, but I've seen enough now to see different trends and it doesn't always work. It doesn't always make you feel better. Um, you have to experiment a lot with the dose. Um, and yeah, it is. It's just providing your body with some of those lost uh, thyroid hormones, but also your body has to be able to use them. And if you're super stressed and inflamed, it doesn't matter. You know, you can have plenty of thyroid hormones in your system, but they can't get into the cells. Mm-hmm. So it's not that simple. And, and that really is a huge obstacle. It's not that simple where you can just take a pill. Yeah. Unfortunately. I, another one I'd say is um, just lifestyle, you know, boundaries around work and family and really taking care of themselves, protecting their energy. Sleep is huge mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, we need good sleep. And I think people with Hashimoto's are not very, they don't tolerate stress well. It really throws our thyroid out. It really throws our immune function out. So stress can throw us completely. Um, So that's another huge obstacle because who doesn't have massive amounts of stress? (laughs) Yeah. I always say it's not about the fact that, you know, you can get rid of stress because you can't. Stress is in our lives these days. It's how you're managing it and how, you're able to change the way that your body reacts to the stress. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to retrain ourselves. And that's really interesting because another really common thing that most people with Hashimoto's have in their health history is trauma, quite often childhood trauma. And so they've, 
they've really developed a pattern of fight or flight very early. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's it's common thread amongst all autoimmunity, but I don't think I've ever had a client not have childhood trauma. Um, and so then we learn to cope with certain scenarios in this fight or flight way constantly. And, you know, one of my theory is because of this high achieving sort of Hashimoto's type of woman is that we're kind of addicted to the adrenaline and the drama because of what whatever's happened to us in the past. And so we keep everything up high here, just constantly, lots of activity, um, you know, I guess really high frequency, everything's going on. And, and in a way, I guess that's distracting if you haven't done inner work and dealt with the pain and trauma and that effect on the body. Also, it's normal for us. We're comfortable with that. That's what we're used to feeling. Mm. And look, you know, you're talking about trauma and postpartum being one of those things that mm-hmm. really sets Hashimoto's off. I mean, there's nothing more stressful than growing another human mm. being, pushing it out of your body too for many, many women. Yeah, and the statistics on um, childbirth trauma are frightening as well. Yeah. So it's yeah. not surprising. You can definitely see a link there. Okay. Mm. Um, I think there's also a really big understanding around, you know, Hashimoto's is just kind of looked at one of those other things around the thyroid. And, yes, don't get me wrong, it is thyroid, but I think there needs to be this better understanding about it actually being more autoimmune, Mm. you know, and having more of an autoimmune focus than it purely just being, you know, one of these little numbers to do with your thyroid. It's, yeah. it's your body attacking, you know, this system, which effectively that is what autoimmune is. Yeah. Well, it's not actually a thyroid disease. Mm. It's an autoimmune disease that is eventually affects your thyroid function. And I think there's so, a lot of misinformation around that out there. Mm. And that sort of, you know, obviously, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about any medication that they're using for these conditions as being a bad thing. I think for many sufferers, it's essential. It's very mm. beneficial mm. for oh, them. Absolutely. Just it not being the only form of treatment that they're willing to include. If you, As you say, if you don't change some of those lifestyle habits, mm. the food habits, probably not going to get a different outcome. <laughs> no. And even just looking at, you know, those triggers and drivers and looking back through your life and, identifying the really traumatic or stressful times in your life, identifying different infections you've had, um, you know, exposure to different environmental toxins and things. So it's so common for my clients to have really heavy exposure to things like, for example, uh, you know, hairdressers, mm-hmm. so high chemical exposure or like uh, farmers with spraying pesticides, um, manufacturing, that kind of thing. So looking back over um, your history and sort of seeing what's contributed and what you may need to work on to improve the autoimmune attack because taking thyroxine is not going to stop the autoimmune attack it's just going to replace the thyroid hormone that isn't being produced due to the autoimmune attack Um, so it is very complex there's always a lot it's it's always multifaceted Um, but I guess once you can get so I think what the first step is really to try and get yourself give yourself some vitality again Mm. So, you know, you need to have energy, you need to be able to make good choices and be able to think clearly. So that that's a really good first step. Um, so making sure there's no nutrient deficiencies that are 
draining you, making sure you're eating to regulate your blood sugar and you've got an anti-inflammatory diet. And then looking back and working out, you know, well, is there something, you know, another really common one is um, breast implant toxins. Yeah. You know, a lot of women that have had them end up with autoimmunity and Hashimoto's disease. So there's things like that that you can look at and, and you can do something about to try and stem or stop that autoimmune attack because it is possible to get Hashimoto's into remission. Yeah, that's good news for people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, something like uh, 20%, oh, gosh, I hope I don't butcher this statistic. So um, postpartum thyroiditis, which is the most common sort of onset, mm-hmm. uh, 20% of um, women within 10 years spontaneously recover from that full thyroid function, autoimmunity gone. Um, but, but there is quite a few of them that will go on to develop, you know, overt hypothyroidism and the autoimmune attack will continue as well within 10 years. And then if you, you know, subsequently might have another child in two years or a couple of Mm. years Mm. and that kind of continues potentially that time frame out much further. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And, and I know doctors say, you know, it's not possible and there's no cure and you'll just be on, um, thyroid hormones for the rest of your life, but that that's definitely not true. So they also say that uh, your thyroid will just slowly get destroyed and that's it. And eventually you'll be completely reliant on thyroxine. Not true. So a small percentage of people that their thyroid can actually regrow. So their, the um, follicular cells can regrow and you can recover that function. So we now know that that's new. We didn't know that we, you know, so I think Australia takes a little while to catch up. (laughs) So finding a really good doctor who's really in tune and understands and treats a lot of Hashimoto's is probably pretty important and a lot more accessible now that we have telehealth. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay. What are the mistakes that Hashimoto sufferers are making out there that you see? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, this is what keeps me busy. Um, yeah, so they, they're trying to do the things that they used to do when they were much younger to manage their weight, or they are uh, following misinformation online. So I see a lot of dieting happening, Mm -hmm. a lot of fasting. So your thyroid really loves to know that it's going to get regular nutritious meals throughout the day because it uses those nutrients uh, to create and convert those thyroid hormones for your body. So it's constantly fluctuating and responding to your situation. You know, throughout the day, it's diurnal. So throughout the day, it changes. What you eat will change it, whether you go through stress, you know, even um, having sex will change your thyroid. So it's constantly changing throughout the day, which is why you should always get it tested early in the morning, by the way. consistency um oh no now I've lost my thought what was I saying oh fasting fasting yes so when you cut meals your thyroid does not like that okay your metabolism does not like that so fasting is great for men okay it's Mm. great when you've been on the western style diet and you have a lot of health conditions you've got that metabolic syndrome going on and you really need to change um, particularly for men brilliant you know, pretty suitable for young women as long as they're supporting their lifestyles and things well and they're not too worn out as well. But once you've started having kids, you're working full time, you've got a lot of responsibility, you're putting way too much stress on your thyroid um, and it's just not going to work. It's just going to slow down. So most of my clients, I actually get them eating more 
than when, so they come to me and they're usually skipping quite a few meals in the week. They're not eating much at all. And I actually get them eating more and they lose weight. (laughs) So calorie counting and dieting is also, you know, a major problem there. When you abuse your metabolism by going on restrictive diets on and off for, you know, 20 years or 10 years, your metabolism doesn't know which way's up Mm. and it's going to slow down because it doesn't know if it's safe. All it's thinking about is keeping you alive and keeping you fertile and, it's going to hold on to any lipid or fat cells on your body if it thinks that there might be scarcity, you know, and by skipping meals all the time, you're signaling to your body that there's scarcity of food mm-hmm. and that you don't know when your next meal's coming. It, it's like, it's just pure biology. <laughs> so fasting is a huge one. Yeah. Very popular. Yeah. Um, and I see exactly the same mistake yep. with most of my clients as well, not just anybody with, you know, thyroid issues but hormonal mm-hmm. issues too mm-hmm. for all the same reasons. And I think, you know, the stress that's involved that's a really big trigger for Hashimoto's um, sufferers I think is an important one because if they're not eating first thing in the morning, they're mm-hmm. also not able to try and balance some of that peak of cortisol down as mm-hmm. well. So, so many benefits, ladies, to eating breakfast. Yeah. To yeah. skip meals. And it is that personality too of I'm, I'm too busy, mm-hmm. I'm too rushed, I've mm-hmm. got to use my lunch break for this other thing. And we dress it up as like this health thing, fasting, but it- half the time it's really just glorified skipping of meals. And and if you're having coffee, by the way, you're not fasting, you're having coffee, okay? (laughs) It means that you are having breakfast, you're having coffee for breakfast, which causes a lot of problems in and of itself. And if you're already a highly strung, stressed out woman, having coffee for breakfast is a pretty bad idea. Mm. Not to mention, I mean, it acts as a laxative for many people and Mm -hmm. if they are constipated, Mm -hmm. Hashimoto's, they can see the benefit, but yeah, there's yeah. so many ways that you could still enjoy that and yeah. add food into. Yeah, that's you can have your coffee. Just make sure you've got protein, fats, and fiber in your stomach already. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's an appetite suppressant, people. It's an mm. appetite suppressant. Mm-hmm. I know that's what you're using it for. Yeah, <laughs> but the ramifications of that. <laughs> yeah, it's hungry. It's asking for some fuel. Yeah, yeah, it needs it. There are so many nutrients that without without enough of these nutrients, your thyroid literally cannot make enough hormones. You know, so it's just so important. We have to fuel our bodies well. Yeah. And look, fasting has its benefits in certain areas, as you said. I mm. think um, I don't want to, you know, shame it on everybody. No. No. I've found if there's an underlying condition, mm-hmm. it's just not going to work. You need to sort out that condition first. Yeah. Yep. Any yep. other sort of mistakes that you see, Hashi? Yeah, over-exercising. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, Let's put some more stress on the body. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's not, you know, exercise is amazing. And what I try to teach my clients is that it's a tool to keep your body healthy, you know, manually to look after your joints, to look after your muscles, your bones, you know, we need to have muscle. It's really good for us. And in fact, having good muscle tone increases our metabolic rate. Um, But if you are doing the HIIT exercise, the F45, um, and look, I did this, I fasted and did, and did HIIT every morning until I 
found out I had Hashimoto's and I probably still kept on doing it if I'm honest because I didn't know any better and just got worse and worse. Um, those exercises put the body under so much stress. Like, you know, when you get you exercise so much that you think you're going to be sick, mm-hmm. that feeling, yeah, that is really, really not suitable for a woman with Hashimoto's. And I'd argue most Australian women who are very busy and trying to raise kids and work and do all the things. Um, what we need is exercise that steps us out of the sympathetic nervous system state. So that fight or flight into parasympathetic nervous system state. So it calms us down. So exercise that makes us slow down, makes us breathe, um, builds muscle is all really, really helpful. Um, Walking is wonderful in nature. That's one of my favorite things. So have you read The Nature Fix? I haven't, no. I love that book. So she talks about, I think it's this one. I've read a couple that are similar, but she talks about how um, walking in nature and just looking at trees and green lowers our blood pressure, calms us down, you know, does all those good things, gets us into that calmer state. Plus it's good for our body and we're moving. But if you're walking by water, it's compounded because running water seems to calm us down even more. Mm -hmm. So getting out in nature where you can or doing calm, gentle exercises that where you are building muscle and strength, but you're not flogging yourself with um, that really intense aerobic exercise because it's not doing what you think it's going to do. And it's really overestimated in the weight journey. So if you're someone with hashies that's trying to lose weight, uh, exercise really only plays around 20% of, of that story. 80% is food. You've got to get the food right. Having a really intense exercise regime not going to cover the fact that you're not eating right for your body. Yep. Did everyone hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um, because you're absolutely right, you know, and it's it's what women are told to do effectively. If you want to feel more energy and you want to mm-hmm. lose weight, you've got to go out there and kill yourself exercising and eat like a bird. <laughs> Yeah, I blame The Biggest Loser, that TV show. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I blame that. That's what, yeah, that was shocking. I can't even imagine what was going on sort of under the surface yeah, for yeah. those poor people with their health, you know, yeah. with that. It's abuse on your body. Yeah, very, very different metabolic pictures as well than yes. half of the people that are watching it that just want to lose, you know, five kilos or something yes. like that. So, yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. Yep, I get that one. Okay, excellent. So loads of information. I guess what are the three main takeaways that you want people with Hashimoto's to really look at again? Mm, Okay. Number one, advocate for yourself. Mm. Mm. So arm yourself with knowledge, find, find, create a team, pull people around you um, that are really proficient in treating Hashimoto's, you know, including a really good doctor um, so that you feel supported and, you know, that you are you can have a much smoother journey because this is something that even if you get yourself into remission, it's still a lifelong thing that you're going to have to be aware of. And I know we all want to live a life and get to, you know, 80 or 90 and have a sound mind and a healthy body and, you know, good family and friendships around us. And, and that, you know, if, if Hashimoto's goes, is able to just do ravage your body, that's going to be harder to do. So just having that big long-term goal and really advocating for yourself and the future that you want for yourself. 
The second thing, hmm, there's so many. <laughs> I think for me, the big turning point in my journey was learning how to regulate my blood sugar to eat eat in a way that regulates my blood sugar. So um, it's extremely anti-inflammatory. It's extremely gut healing. Um, it's definitely the way that our bodies are designed to be fueled. Um, and it really helps clear up a lot of the diff most difficult symptoms of Hashimoto's like poor sleep, fatigue, brain fog, weight gain. It really addresses them all. Um, so I'd say that is a really, really big one. And the last one I'd say is um, building a lifestyle that really supports your health and protects your energy and being, like I said, really protective of that, you know, making sure that your bedtime is this time and that's it and nothing's going to stand in the way of that. Um, having boundaries with your life so that you, you know, work isn't encroaching upon family and you're able to really live out the values that are really important to you because that's going to energize you and you're, that means you're going to be enjoying your life and you know that's the point in the end isn't it really and it's just it's just going to help so much with all of those symptoms as well if you're really enjoying life and you're able to wake up in the morning after a good night's sleep <laughs> so important yeah and I think so there were so many negatives around COVID mm. and I know that you're sort of based in Victoria and mm. probably had a few more negatives. Yeah. But there were also so many positives that I can see about yeah. people really assessing that lifestyle and mm. what changes they can make that actually do facilitate them, you know, getting a little bit more time outside or being Absolutely. able to work from home once or twice a week or whatever it is. Mm -hmm that means that they're not just at 110% constantly. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's Take been away. great. I've completely changed my entire lifestyle since COVID, 100%. I've gone from working, sending my kids to school and working in a clinic face-to-face -face four or five days a week, um, very burnt out, not managing Hashimoto's well, always struggling with my weight, to now I just came back from eight weeks road trip um, yeah, no it looks like <laughs> you know my husband and I have decided that that you know that's a really important value for us and so we've, we're building our work more around having a couple of months over winter to go and travel while we homeschool the kids and we're still working on the road but you know changing that having my kids at home with me which for some people would be their absolute nightmare but for me I mean, probably pre-COVID, probably I would have said something similar, but for me it's actually something that I really love and is really precious to me. And, um, you know, there's so many things now, working from home so that I can schedule my lunch break. And I've just literally came back from lunch before talking with you, Brooke, and I was sitting out. I bought myself a beautiful teak sun lounge, sitting in my veggie patch, eating my lunch and reading a book and just winding down, doing some deep breaths and getting some sun and vitamin D. And I couldn't do any of that before. But I thought, what's the point? And I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? It's actually your life and you get to choose how you do it, you know, and there are a lot of external pressures like mortgages and things, but, you know, it's all your choice. Yeah. Build a life you love that really energizes you and makes you happy and is going to give you the best chance of recovery, I say. Love it. Love it. <laughs> I want to be out there in the sun amongst my veggie patch. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I think there's been so many little takeaways. I think that's absolutely brilliant for all of the people out there that have Hashimoto's, that suspect even potentially some of those symptoms that they just can't budge. Mm. This might be something to have a look at and investigate, rule Mm. out even. Mm. I think it's great. Tessie, you've shared some awesome information. Thank you. Now, you have recently launched your own signature system, the Thrive Method. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that and who it might actually be suitable for? Yeah, sure. Yeah, this is what I did um, when everyone else was making sourdough. I don't even know if that's relevant in Tasmania. Were people making sourdough in Tasmania? Oh, a bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. There was a lot of sourdough (laughs) happening in Victoria. (laughs) I was working on this program, so it's been a couple of years in the making. Um, I guess the two things that I know most women with these really struggle with is the weight gain and the fatigue. That They're the two real painful things that they have to deal with um, throughout their day. So I've basically created a program to equip and support them. I want to see them reignite their energy and release any excess weight in their body and learn how to maintain it with ease. So, yeah, it's, it's a four-month program. Um, it's it's an interesting one. So there's a mixture of one-to-one consults and a, and a group community as well. So it's very personalised to you and your journey and your triggers um, and drivers and all that stuff. Um, but then we've also you've also got the accountability with me and that support as well as the online education component too. Yeah. As far as I know, no one else is doing anything like it. I also incorporate the GEM protocol, which is a gut healing protocol as part of it because you cannot address autoimmunity without addressing the gut. That's really, really important. Well, we all know that I'm a big fan of the gut and the gut <laughs> yeah. is everything. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Tell me a condition that's not really, I can find probably exactly. some sort of link. <laughs> exactly, that's it, yeah. Excellent. Okay, so where can people find you if they want more information? Yeah, so the the best place is probably Instagram. There's a link in my profile where you can um, you can get joined uh, find my website you can um, sign up to attend one of my webinars so I have regular webinars as well um, yeah you can contact me you can dm me through instagram anytime um, yeah that's probably the best way <laughs> and you can also go and see her amazing cat yes yes you can meet meet Hermione online if you can call her a cat <laughs> She's a, a lioness. That's better. That's like <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of photos of my Maine Coon, my smoke grey Maine Coon Hermione on, on Instagram as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge in this area. Um, as I said, you know, being somebody that's actually experienced this and gone mm-hmm. through a lot of those trials and errors, I think makes you the perfect practitioner for somebody with this condition because you have so much of a better understanding. And as I said, the information that you shared today, I think is going to be so useful for listeners. So I really appreciate it. And thank you so, so much. Thank you so much, Brooke. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to the Evolved Health Podcast with your host, Brooke Archer. You can find me on your socials at Evolved Nutrition or go to my website, evolvenutrition.com.au to work with me, check out my programs, delicious recipes and so much more. Thanks for listening.